This is Peter Franson from SpiritBlade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit SpiritBlade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spirit Blade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 9 Without warning, the environment around them fell away. Both Merrick and his demonic double were transported to another place. Even the prince seemed surprised when they found themselves inside someone's home. It looked to Merrick like a family-sized living block on the lower end of Gateway City. It was small for a family block, and they stood in the cramped combination living room kitchen. The devil became outraged, turning to the air and shouting, "'Unacceptable! I will not have you interrupting me with this foolishness!' Merrick examined his surroundings and found his hand passing through the couch sitting next to him. It seemed they were only meant to be spectators here. Shouting rose from the hall leading out of the kitchen, and abruptly a woman scurried in, crying and covering her head. No sooner had she reached the kitchen than her husband followed up behind her, letting loose a volley of profanity. "'I'm sorry!' the woman cried out, cowering beneath her husband. "'You think I'm sorry is going to be enough?' he yelled, pulling her violently to her feet. "'Please!' she cried. "'You can't do this!' "'Who's going to stop me?' he yelled again, and began delivering blow after blow to her face and gut, doubling her over in pain." Merrick could only watch as the abuse continued, and the woman's moans softened until she lay unconscious on the floor. The man stood for a moment, catching his breath, and then proceeded to wipe the blood from his knuckles with a dish rag, and turned on his hollow projector, searching for a new source of entertainment. "'This is meaningless,' the demon prince declared. In the next instant, they found themselves in an alley down in the darkest depths of Forgotten Gateway. Nothing could be heard save the rustling of trash as it blew softly across the street." It seemed deserted, forsaken. Merrick looked around to see broken buildings from pre-Shaden technology days. The brick walls barely stood, blackened from the many firefights and explosions that had no doubt rocked the area through a history of gang wars. Abandoned vehicles from a long-past era lay tipped over, riddled with holes. Further evidence of the violence that had been taking place here for years, right under their noses. In the distance, Merrick could make out the click-clack of women's heels on the concrete pavement— A woman appeared from around the corner, dressed in ragged, cheap imitation fashions from ten years ago, carrying a filled pillowcase over one shoulder. Her face looked worn from years of pain, and the whites of her eyes had the violet tint that came with prolonged use of the latest wave of narcotics. There was something odd about the shape of her burden. Merrick couldn't quite place his finger on it. The woman slowed and came to a stop in front of a massive dumpster, still standing off the edge of the street. She knew that only the automated trucks came this deep into the city, so none would question her actions now. With a grunt and heave, she sent the bundle over the edge. It landed inside with a dull thud that made the metal sides of the dumpster ring. Without a word, the woman stumbled away into the city. Merrick knew that whatever had brought them here wanted him to see what was in that dumpster. Slowly, he walked toward it. "'Don't be a fool, Merrick,' the demon scolded. "'It doesn't mean anything.' The demon knows already, Merrick thought. He knows what the woman carried, and he doesn't want me to see it. We've wasted enough time here, Merrick. We've got a world to conquer. He's so insistent, Merrick realized. He knows that whatever lies in that dumpster will work against him somehow. He'd reached the dumpster now. Experimentally, he reached out with his hand, letting it pass through the metal wall. Merrick knew that it must be something horrific, and having composed Necro for all of his professional life... 
Merrick had the imagination to make a guess at what he was about to see. It made him sick. But still he stepped forward into the dumpster and looked down. On the floor of the empty dumpster lay the pillowcase, and spilling out from it, an infant. Dead. The entire right side of its head caved in, issuing blood onto the floor of its grave. It had been alive, only moments before. The fall had killed it. The demon prince stepped through the dumpster to join him, kneeling next to the child. Mercy, really, he said softly. Look at his skin. He traced the violet lines across its arm. Born an addict. He wouldn't have survived the week down here. The demon looked on for a moment longer. But enough of this. The dumpster vanished, replaced by the rolling green hills they had started in. Merrick's double seemed suddenly rejuvenated. Merrick remained frozen, looking down at the ground where the baby had been only a moment before. "'It's time, Merrick!' the demon shouted to the sky. "'Time to give the world freedom!' "'Freedom,' Merrick thought, the word echoing in his mind. He never thought he would hear that word in anything but a positive light— It naturally brings one to think of happiness, peace, and universal acceptance. It's a word that chases fear away, but for the first time, Merrick heard the word spoken and was filled with disgust. He was overcome with anger and frustration. Don't you get it? He suddenly turned on the demon. Freedom did this, he shouted, pointing to where the baby once lay. This is the cost of humanity's freedom. Merrick's double looked at him, betraying nothing of what he may have thought. Pain, Merrick added. Pain inflicted on each other. Pain inflicted on ourselves. Merrick, the creature offered his hands. Humanity is still so young. You all have the power within you to rise up, to move beyond your weaknesses. He smiled disarmingly. I have a great deal of faith in the human spirit. We've been on this planet for thousands of years at least, Merrick replied. We've only gotten worse. "'And you think a dictator will solve your problems?' the devil mocked. "'Not a human dictator,' Merrick said. "'But if there is such a thing as a perfect being, if this Yesu, "'You dare invoke his name in my presence!' "'The demon caught fire and the landscape fell away. "'The flesh melted from his face as the ancient creature named Lucifer took on a visage of horror.' Magma rushed in from all sides, trapping Merrick on a small island surrounded by fire. On black leather wings spanning more than thirty feet, the monstrous vision descended on Merrick. Is this how you see me, human? Scarred and twisted, formed of some hybrid earth creature? Merrick, filled with a confidence not his own, continued to stand his ground. If the shoe fits, demon. So be it, Lucifer snarled. Pushing up into the air, he rose high above Merrick. You will never know my beauty, human, but neither will you know his. He waits to judge you and all you've helped to lead astray, unknown though it may have been. His blackened lips cracked a sinister smile. Your unredeemable flesh will burn forever in torment, along with all those whom you love. The molten rock shot from the ground, gathering into a white fire in Lucifer's hands. You have lost, Merrick, and I leave you now to your misery. He thrust the burning light down upon Merrick. It burned so bright that for only a moment before plunging him into darkness again, Merrick caught a glimpse of Lucifer's true face. He was the most beautiful creature he had ever seen.
Kendall Blackthorne couldn't sleep. He'd spent the last three hours in bed trying to clear his mind, but slumber eluded him despite his efforts to relax. He could still smell the smoke and ash of pulse rifle residue. He could still hear the voices of men shouting, alerting everyone to the security breach deep in the Liberation headquarters. On that horrible night only three days ago, more than half of the Liberation had been killed. Kendall was among those who had escaped. He turned on the primitive electric lamp next to his bed and sat up. He took stock once more of where he was. He and several other men had found a place to hide in Low City. This forgotten sector in which they took refuge lacked the technology that would allow Atlantis to track them. But even if they knew they were down here, Atlantis would be content to leave them to whatever fate this place had for them. Low City remained a haven for the outcast, and although it held many dangers, much of the Liberation Force had been recruited from this part of Gateway. Kendall had been one of them. He'd known the loneliness of Low City life for as long as he could remember. He'd grown to be a hardened man. Living here, he had to be. But when he joined the Liberation, he'd been introduced to a life he never knew was possible. A life with hope. Even now, with the headquarters destroyed and so many lives lost, he believed that something incredible would happen to turn the tide. He could feel it in his bones, but he knew what must come before action. The door to his room creaked open, and a human silhouette stood in its frame. Sir? the young man said. I know, he replied calmly. I feel it too. Kendall stood and straightened the tattered jacket he wore, presenting himself with a renewed vigor and authority. Tell the others, he ordered. Activate the beacon. I want every Liberation soldier that still breathes to be praying until this is over. The soldier shifted his weight to leave, but stopped short. Sir, what if he doesn't answer? Kendall stepped forward and put a strong hand on the young man's shoulder. He always answers, he said, hinting at a smile. The boy grinned, nodded, and quickly started off. Kendall turned back to his bed and dropped his weight onto the cushion, then leaned forward to pray, hoping that the answer would be yes. Upon arrival at the excavation site, Claudius Falkor immediately brought himself up to speed on the current status of the project. It was reported to him that the tree had undergone all the necessary tests and awaited its first human subject. For months, Claudius had been receiving the treatments necessary to prepare him for infusion. Various chemicals in small doses had been introduced to his body over a long period of time in order to maximize the effectiveness of being injected with concentrated extract from the tree. The process had been tedious, and other than a minor loss of weight and a renewed vigor, the benefits had been less than impressive. But in just a few hours, his patience would be proven worthwhile. When he reached the first massive hydraulic security door, Claudius turned toward the setting sun one last time, thinking to himself that it was the last time he would ever look on the world with mortal eyes. This wasted shell he had been forced to exist in would soon be forgotten. With a sneer, he took the spent cigar from his mouth and dropped it to the ground, then turned and watched as the giant passage hissed open, venting steam that foreshadowed the mystery within. Without waiting for it to clear, Claudius hastily strode into the tunnel. He was soon followed by a small train made up of technicians carting in Ran, who lay dormant in a large container with glass siding and a metallic base. Security officers armed in shaden battle armor followed close behind, and finally, Ebony who carried an unconscious Merrick effortlessly over her shoulder, vanished into the bowels of the earth. Led by Falcor, the strange group of visitors descended through elevators and stairways, passing through consecutive security gates, until they reached the massive cave hollowed out nearly a mile beneath the surface of the earth. 
The vast cavern stretched 200 yards from one end to the other. Its ceiling reached more than 100 yards from top to bottom and dripped with water seeping in from undiscovered wells. Take him to R&D, Claudius growled to the technicians as he waved them past. I'll be in to check on him shortly. The rest of the group turned in various directions, moving quickly to begin work on predetermined tasks. Claudius walked alone down a series of metal stairs leading to the floor of the cave. Passing two security guards who noticeably stiffened in his presence, Falcor stepped confidently up to a metallic domed structure. It stood ominously at the edge of the crater housing the mystical tree, as if constantly watching the progress of the dozens of teams that labored day and night. Another set of doors hissed open, allowing Claudius entrance into a large, darkened room. Once inside, the automated doors rushed closed behind him, trapping in frigid air that made the billionaire's hairs stand on end. Light flooded him from below, signaling to Claudius that he once again had audience with the Shaden Council. Only this time, it was no simulation that he could escape the moment the transmission ended. This time, Claudius Falcor actually stood in the midst of these otherworldly beings. The opposition has been eliminated, Claudius gruffly announced. They will trouble us no more. How can you be sure of this? The voices scraped in unison. I have seen to each of them personally, Claudius emphasized, openly annoyed with the council's doubt. However, the Shaden elders seemed to be unconcerned with their lowly servant's change in attitude. What else have you to report? I have the scythe. He is here in our custody. You have brought him here? The council thundered in rage. Claudius remained unshaken. He has not yet turned. He still sides with us, though he doesn't know it. And while he does... He is of incredible value. And should he turn, you know he can't be killed. Of course, Claudius smiled slowly, relishing the thought. But we're testing a cryogenic tank on Ran Galvanic right now. If Merrick doesn't prove useful, we'll keep him frozen but alive until the end of time. Why is it so hard to breathe? Ran first thought to himself. His vision was blurred as well, and he could only make out dark shapes moving back and forth in front of him. His skin felt strange as well, like something covered it. Was he lying down or standing up? He couldn't tell. Something wasn't right. Why could he hear his breathing so well? Or was it his breathing? It sounded labored and slow and felt the same. Like it wasn't air he was breathing, but... A flash of light made him start, and Ran watched the first bubble rise up in front of him. His last conscious memories flooded back into him in a wave of panic, and he began to thrash about in the tank that held him in a liquid prison. Following the flash of light, the blurred shapes crossing in front of him began to increase in number and to move more quickly. Ran knew he had to escape. But how? How had he even been put here? He felt around his waist for his equipment belt and discovered only his own skin. His clothes and equipment were gone, leaving him completely helpless. In frustration, Rand punched the glass in front of him and discovered to his surprise that he created a crack. Squinting his eyes, Rand looked again at his right arm and discovered a gleaming metallic prosthetic. Wasting no more time, he punched the glass again, causing the crack to spiderweb in every direction. Suddenly the movement outside the tank stopped and all became quiet. Ran froze in sudden confusion. What game were they playing now? In a sudden violent impact, the glass shattered in front of Ran, draining the tank in seconds. Unsupported by the fluid, Ran found himself suddenly weak and collapsed onto a solid metal floor, coughing and vomiting up the liquid that had sustained him. 
When his last vision cleared, he scanned the room with his eyes. Four lab technicians lay unconscious on the floor, and a security guard lay draped over a computer terminal. Standing across from him, a metal chair still gripped in his hand, was David. Just beyond him, in another corner of the room, Ran recognized the energy burns from his shift transporter. Where are we? Ran managed through a recovering voice. David dropped the chair and helped him up. At the excavation site, in the cryogenic R&D lab, Merrick is here too, somewhere. What happened? How did we get here? Rand continued to scan his surroundings. A large window revealed a corridor passing by. All was covered in metal, except where portions of the cave remained exposed, signifying a very practical construction. We were attacked in Merrick's living block. It was the Shaden warrior Merrick told us about, only it's not Shada, it's his friend, Ebony. His producer? I know, it's complicated. Come here. David led Ran across the room to a row of lockers. He pulled a lab coat and work clothes out and handed them to Ran. Change into these. Ran looked again at his arm in wonder. You got hurt pretty bad. If Merrick had activated your nanomed unit any later... How did you get here? Ran asked. Unless I've missed my guess, we're on the other side of the planet. Dirk found your transfer orders in the global mainframe, and I grabbed your shift transporter along with your tech belt and equipment bag from you before hiding. The troopers that took you didn't notice them missing. Rand grabbed David's arm. How many charges are left? None, was the grim reply. The last one brought me to this room. Rand looked around the room again at the five unconscious bodies. David, how did you... David turned away in shame as his eyes moistened. His gift, Rand thought. They probably never knew what hit them. David, it's okay, he tried to reassure the boy. It was his will. Besides, they're still alive. This time... David choked. Why did Yesu have to choose me for this? Why do I have to be the vessel for all this pain? His eyes became angry and bitter. Doesn't he know what it's doing to me? Doesn't he know I'm in danger of giving in, of enjoying it? That I've crossed that line already? Rand put his hands squarely on David's shoulders and pivoted him to make their eyes level. David felt the cold steel of Rand's right arm and looked down at the strong metal hand supporting him with a paternal touch. He followed the servos and wires up to Rand's eyes that looked on him in tenderness. David, Rand spoke softly, he's the one that made you aware of that. You're the most compassionate of any of us. We all would have fallen into the same trap you did, but he knew that you would hear his call and come back. And that's what will keep you from crossing that line again. He knows that as long as you see the danger and how real it is, you'll be safe from stepping into it. Rand, I can't do this anymore. David's voice trembled. Yes, you can. We've all failed to serve him like we should. But don't make failure your excuse to hide away the gift he's given you. Come on, Rand pulled David to his feet. We've got to find Merrick and get out of here. David pushed aside the chair he still held and brushed the wetness from his face with resolve. Rand knew the issue wasn't settled with him, but there were more immediate battles to be won. Both turned toward the door as Rand finished changing into the technician's white jumpsuit and lab coat. I think I overheard where they're holding him, David said firmly, ready to work again. All right, then he's our first objective. We leave with him, or we don't leave at all, Rand replied. I hope he's ready to believe, he added somberly. The only way we'll cut ourselves loose from here is with a scythe. Both stood and faced the double doors leading out into the unknown corridors of the underground fortress, and without another word, stepped through them. Ebony dumped Merrick unceremoniously on the floor of his cell. The door hummed and closed electronically as she left, sending a resonating clang down the hall outside. Merrick lay still and waited for Ebony's footsteps to fade. 
When he felt certain she was gone, he sat upright and took stock of his surroundings. He was in some sort of storage room. It was empty now, but markings on the wall warning of danger told him it was normally used for chemical or possibly weapon storage. Merrick had been awake for nearly thirty minutes, but remained silent and still in hopes that he could learn something of value. He hadn't learned much. He knew that Rand had been taken to a research and development lab somewhere in the facility, but exactly where was anyone's guess. He decided, for the time being, to save his strength and consider the vision he had experienced on the trip here. It wasn't an ordinary dream, he knew that much, and he believed that it was the fallen one that Rand had spoken of that he saw— His dilemma wasn't whether or not to believe what he'd been experiencing was real. He had decided for himself that he could take that much at face value. His dilemma lie in knowing which side to take in this apparent war for humanity. The demon, whether he'd wanted to or not, had shown him what freedom will result in when humans are involved. As a race, humans naturally hungered for self-fulfillment in every facet of life. And it's through the quest for fulfillment that humans hurt themselves and each other. If humanity were given absolute freedom, with no boundaries or limitations, they would create a living, breathing hell on earth. Humanity couldn't truly be free unless they were fixed somehow, unless they already had everything they needed from life. If a person had nothing more they could ever possibly want, there would be no need to search for happiness in a way that might hurt others. There would be no need to lie if you felt unconditionally accepted by everyone. There would be no need for anger if there were no misunderstandings. There would be no need to rape or steal if you already had everything you could ever want. But it seemed so crazy. How in the world could anyone ever reach the point where they have nothing more they could want? How could anyone ever really have it all? Merrick decided to let that thought hang in the air, considering he had no useful answer at the moment. Merrick found himself wanting to side with his friends in this war. He stopped on that thought for a moment. They are my friends, aren't they? He smiled. A crash course in friendship for sure, but... He couldn't call them strangers anymore. Still, he also knew that he could not fight for a lie, no matter how noble the cause seemed. In the end, Merrick would only follow one thing, the truth. He could hear the demon's taunt echoing in his mind. Stop and use your brain for a second. Does it make any sense that someone that's been screwing up their whole life could just say, okie dokie to God and everything will be alright? Where's the justice? Who's going to make up for all the times you screwed up? Who's going to get punished for all the times you hurt someone else? Merrick didn't know. He racked his brain, but it still made no sense that a perfect being would allow for a complete lack of justice. Ran had told him a few nights ago that even evil people, truly evil people that tortured and killed dozens or even hundreds, could choose just before death to believe in Yesu and be forgiven of everything, just like that. At first it seemed great to Merrick, but now it just seemed unfair, not to mention nonsensical. Where would the justice be found if a terrorist or serial rapist or murderous dictator was forgiven for everything they ever did to anyone? How could the liberation make that work with the idea of Yesu being perfect? If he's perfect, he should believe in justice. Merrick's frustration grew as he realized how difficult the truth would be to find. Was it some combination of both truths? Was it possible that the WCU had things right all along? Maybe the integration of ideas, the blending of truths, was the only answer that made any sense. The only one that could bring peace to Merrick's mind. Even if the Shada and the corrupted WCU backed the idea, truth was still truth, wasn't it? That's the burning question, isn't it, Merrick? A young voice said through the steel bars in Merrick's prison door. David crouched down in the hallway, resting one hand on the metal grating. Merrick's eyes went wide in disbelief. 
David, how did you... David, I told you to wait for... Rand's voice faded in as he caught up with the boy. When he saw Merrick, his anxious eyes lit up. You found him! Merrick, are you all right? I'm fine, Rand. Someone else once asked me that, David continued, as though Rand weren't there. Merrick noticed for the first time that David's eyes were no longer his own. They spun with the same emerald brilliance he'd seen for only a moment the first night he'd come to the Liberation Headquarters. Only now the brilliance remained and continued to brighten and flash as they soon lit the room and filled it with a warmth Merrick could feel in his bones. "'What is truth?' he asked. David continued in soft yet resonating tones. "'I didn't respond then, and I don't believe I need to now. You know what truth is better than most people in this world.' Your question tonight is not, what is truth, but rather, what is the truth? Merrick looked into the eyes of God and pleaded, How am I supposed to make that decision? How am I supposed to know what the truth is? David smiled gently. The world would tell you at a time like this to follow your heart, but I tell you to follow your mind. For I am not one who exists because of the whim and fancy of my followers and their fickle emotions. I exist because I am. And though the challenge before you is to accept me by faith, you can see the road paved to me in the evidence I have left mankind through the ages. I know, I know, Merrick shook his head in frustration. But where are you today? Where are you when all the evil in the world goes unpunished? The time for punishment will come, came the edged reply. But until then, I wait so that more may have the chance to come to me. But why? Merrick shouted. You're telling me that you're waiting even for the drax-sucking men here tonight? You're waiting to forgive the men in this world who have raped and killed hundreds, thousands? I wait for those who have killed millions in the hope that they will come to me for forgiveness. Merrick jumped to his feet. Where is the justice? He slammed his hand on the bars. Where is it? If you're so perfect, if you're so holy and above us all, then where is your God almighty and damning justice? A surge of emerald fire burst in a consuming flood from David's eyes and slammed Merrick to the floor, sliding him to the back of the cell. The fire ripped into Merrick's mind, exposing every hidden corner and opening his consciousness to the vision prepared for him. He found himself transported to an endless, flat expanse, floored in grim, sterile iron, an infinite expanse in which he felt a loneliness greater than anything he'd known. As he turned, however, he saw a structure in the distance, a wooden beam standing up in the iron desert, with a second beam crossing horizontally over it nearly halfway down. Of a choice not his own, Merrick found himself moving rapidly toward the structure and discovered, to his horror, a man attached to it. Upon closer inspection, he saw the grisly method by which it had been done. Iron nails had punctured his flesh in each wrist, and a single nail through both of his feet. The man hanging there, naked and alone, stripped of all dignity, whimpered in pain. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Unique Tracks, Bjorn A. Lynn, Pierre Gervig-Longer, and Dynamedian Royalty Free. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future 
A world where the quest for truth is a thing of the past. Look, your truth just isn't true for me, okay? The truth does not require your belief. It simply is, regardless of your personal convictions. I think the world's been blinded, Ebony. Everybody claims to be spiritual, whatever the drac that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Merrick, this is crazy. You can't talk like this. And they'll do anything to keep it out of our future. It's Atlantis! They found us again! An alien race has blessed us with amazing technology. Merrick, the world we live in is incredible. While a race of demons destroys who we are. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vendarius? We shall believe in your blood, humans. <laughs> Brothers, tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. Humanity will be wiped from the map of history. We've traveled across our world and even into another. What we can see with our eyes is of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. It is what occurs in the other world around us that should have us concerned. What the press just happened? Was that the... The other world. We've been hunted by humans, aliens, and things I don't have a name for. I'm the future, Vincent. The ultimate life form. There's too many of them. One goes down and three more take its place. All because we're looking for the one weapon that can bring an end to this conflict forever. Give me the sword! A weapon known only as the Spirit Blade. Oh, I can feel its power from here. Oh yeah, well tell me what this feels like. For more information, visit spiritblade.net.